Welcome to the Nightmare Emporium. Here we take a deep dive into some grisly tales that are bound to make you lose your head. Now, let's check in with our host, the macabre Marvel herself, to see what she has in store for us this week. <laughs> The Red Room by H.G. Wells I can assure you, said I, that it will take a very tangible ghost to frighten me, and I stood up before the fire with my glass in my hand. It is your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm, and glanced at me askance. Eight and twenty years, said I, I have lived and never a ghost have I seen as yet. The old woman sat, staring hard into the fire, her pale eyes wide open. Aye, she broke in, in eight and twenty years you have lived, and never seen the likes of this house, I reckon. There's a many things to see when one's still but eight and twenty. She swayed her head slowly from side to side. A many things to see and sorrow for. I half suspected the old people were trying to enhance the spiritual terrors of their house by their droning insistence. I put down my empty glass on the table and looked about the room and caught a glimpse of myself, abbreviated and broadened to an impossible sturdiness, in the old mirror at the end of the room. Well, I said, if I see anything tonight, I too shall be much the wiser, for I come to the business with an open mind. It's your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm once more. I heard the sound of a stick and a shambling step on the flags of the passage outside, and the door creaked on its hinges as a second old man entered, more bent, more wrinkled, more aged even than the first. He supported himself by a single crutch, his eyes were covered by a shade, and his lower lip, half averted, hung pale and pink from his decaying yellow teeth. He made straight for an armchair on the opposite side of the table, sat down clumsily, and began to cough. The man with the withered arm gave his newcomer a short glance of positive dislike. The old woman took no notice of his arrival, but remained with her eyes fixed steadily on the fire. I said, it's your own choosing said the man with the withered arm, when the coughing had ceased for a while. It's my own choosing, I answered. The man with the shade became aware of my presence for the first time, and threw his head back for a moment and sideways to see me. I caught a momentary glimpse of his eyes, small and bright and inflamed. Then he began to cough and stutter again. Why don't you drink, said the man with the withered arm, pushing the beer towards him. The man with the shade poured out a glassful with a shaky hand that splashed half again as much onto the diggle table. A monstrous shadow of him crouched upon the wall and mocked his actions as he poured and drank. I must confess, I had scarce expected these grotesque custodians. There is, to my mind, something inhuman in senility, something crouching and atavistic the human quality seemed to drop from old people day by day. The three of them made me feel uncomfortable, 
with their gaunt silences, their bent carriage, their evident unfriendliness to me and to one another. If, said I, you will show me to this haunted room of yours, I would make myself comfortable there. The old man with the cough jerked his head back so suddenly that it startled me and shot another glance of his red eyes at me from under the shade, but no one answered me. I waited a minute, glancing from one to the other. If, I said a little louder, if you would show me into this haunted room of yours, I will relieve you from the task of entertaining me. There is a candle on the slab outside the door, said the man with the withered arm, looking at my feet as he addressed me. But if you go to the red room tonight, this night of all nights, said the old woman. You go alone, he finished. Very well, I answered, and which way do I go? You go along the passage for a bit, said he, until you come to a door, and through that is a spiral staircase, and halfway up is a landing, and another door covered with bays. Go through that and down the long corridor to the end, and the red room is on your left, up the steps. Have I got that right? I said, and repeated his directions. He corrected me on one particular. And you're really going, said the man with the shade, looking at me for the third time, with that weird, unnatural tilting to the face. This night of all nights, said the old woman. This is what I came for, I said, and moved towards the door. As I did so, the old man with the shade rose and staggered round the table, so as to be closer to the others and to the fire. At the door, I turned and looked at them, and saw that they were all close together, dark against the firelight, staring at me over their shoulders, with an intent expression on their ancient faces. Good night, I said, setting the door open. It's your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm. I left the door wide open until the candle was well alight, and then I shut them in and walked down the chilly, echoing passage. I must confess that the oddness of these three old pensioners, in whose charge her ladyship had left the castle, and that deep-toned, old-fashioned furniture of the housekeeper's room in which they foregathered, affected me in spite of my efforts to keep myself at a matter-of-fact phase. They seemed to belong to another age, an older age, an age where things spiritual were different from this of ours, less certain, an age when omens and witches were credible, and ghosts beyond denying. Their very existence was spectral, the cut of their clothing, fashions born in dead brains, the ornaments and conveniences of the room about them were ghostly, the thoughts of vanished men, which still haunted rather than participated in the world of today. But with an effort, I sent such thoughts to the right about. The long, droughty subterranean passage was chilly and dusty, and my candle flared and made the shadows cower and quiver. Their echoes rang up and down the spiral staircase, and a shadow came sweeping up after me, and one fled before me into the darkness overhead. I came to the landing and stopped there for a moment, listening to a rustling that I fancied I heard. Then, 
Satisfied of the absolute silence, I pushed open the baize-covered door and stood in the corridor. The effect was scarcely what I had expected. From the moonlight, coming in by the great window on the grand staircase, picked out everything in vivid black shadow or silvery illumination. Everything was in its place. The house might have been deserted on the yesterday, instead of eighteen months ago. There were candles in the sockets of the sconces, and whatever dust had gathered on the carpets or upon the polished flooring was distributed so evenly as to be invisible in the moonlight. I was about to advance and stopped abruptly. A bronze group stood upon the landing, hidden from me by the corner of the wall, but its shadow fell with marvelous distinctiveness upon the white paneling and gave me the impression of someone crouching to waylay me. I stood rigid for half a minute, mayhaps. Then, with my hand in the pocket that held my revolver, I advanced, only to discover a statue glistening in the moonlight. That incident for a time restored my nerve, and a porcelain doll on the side table, whose head rocked silently as I passed him, scarcely startled me. The door to the red room and the steps up to it were in a shadowy corner. I moved my candle from side to side in order to see clearly the nature of the recess in which I stood before opening the door. Here it was, thought I, that my predecessor was found, and the memory of that story gave me a sudden twinge of apprehension. I glanced over my shoulder at the statue in the moonlight and opened the door of the red room rather hastily with my face half-turned to the placid opening of the landing. I entered, closed the door behind me at once, turned the key I found in the lock within, and stood, with the candle held aloft, surveying the scene of my vigil, the great red room of Lorraine Cassil, in which the young duke had died, or rather, in which he had just begun his dying, for he had opened the door and fallen headlong down the steps I had just ascended. That had been the end of his vigil, of his gallant attempt to conquer the ghostly tradition of the place, and never, I thought, had apoplepsy better served the end of superstition. And there were other and older stories that clung to the room. Back to the half-credible beginning of it all, the tale of a timid wife and the tragic end that came to her husband's jest of frightening her. And, looking around that large, somber room, with its shadowy window bays, its recesses and alcoves, one could well understand the legends that had sprouted in its black corners, its germinating darkness. My candle was a little tongue of light in the vastness that failed to pierce the opposite end of the room, and left an ocean of mystery and suggestion behind its island of night. Well, well, wasn't that just a scream? Until next time, our fiendish friends, remember to stay scared, and sometimes it's more than just a story. <laughs>